This is Binghamton Now on News Radio 1290, WNBF Binghamton and WNBF.com. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290, WNBF. Here's Kathy White. A little bit of a showery start to the day, as well as some fog. We'll have the clouds hanging on. But once again, mild temperatures today in the low to mid 50s. New York State Police are investigating a collision between a motor vehicle and a pedestrian that has claimed the life of a North Norwich woman. Authorities say 30-year-old Megan Michalunas was standing in the road on State Highway 80 near Rexford Falls wearing dark clothing when she was hit by a vehicle driven by an Oneida man at around quarter after six Monday evening. She was pronounced dead at the scene. The driver immediately stopped and notified authorities. A patient at the Delhi Rehabilitation Center is accused of molesting a staff member and a resident. Delaware County Sheriff's officials say 70-year-old Charles David of Delhi was arrested last week and charged with two counts of four. Touching. He's accused of subjecting two females to unwanted sexual contact on two separate occasions while living at the facility on State Highway 10 in the town of Delhi. David was issued a criminal summons for town of Delhi Court at a later date. An order of protection was issued prohibiting the man from having any contact with the victims. A Johnson City store that reportedly had been making marijuana available by a gifting scheme has been closed. Village Police Chief Brett Dodge says a search warrant was executed at the shop called High Standards at 279 Floral Avenue, which he said had popped up over a single weekend. Police executed a search warrant on November 22nd during which Dodge says one and a quarter pounds of marijuana was confiscated from the store. He says two employees are charged with unlawful possession and were issued appearance tickets. Dodge says he believes his department's move to shut down the Floral Avenue shop was the first action of its kind by police in Broome County. A Cortland man is facing several felony counts following an investigation into a reported burglary at a home in the town of Cortlandville. Sheriff's officials say 37-year-old Michael Grossi was arrested on Sunday after deputies had responded to the home earlier in the day. Authorities say Grossi was arrested during a traffic stop when officers determined he had an order of protection with a passenger in his vehicle and had some of the items taken in the earlier burglary in the vehicle. The sheriff's office says additional stolen items were found in a garage at a home in the town of Cortlandville. Grossi is charged with felony counts of grand larceny, burglary, and criminal mischief as well as misdemeanor criminal contempt. He was sent to the Cortland County Jail. Voters in the Susquehanna Valley School District are giving the nod to spending $29.8 million on a list of improvements in the district that include safety and security upgrades. Residents yesterday voted 243 to 21 on the spending proposal that carries no increase in the local school tax rate. A group that challenged the redrawing of local legislative district boundaries in Broome County is celebrating a court victory. Fair Maps for Broome County yesterday announced it has won a Supreme Court challenge to the county legislative district map adopted in January, supposedly to reflect population shifts reported in the 2020 census. The group hired a lawyer to ask the court to declare the legislative district lines invalid due to gerrymandering, including dividing the town of Maine into three districts. Supreme Court Justice Joseph McBride reportedly declared the maps void, meaning new district lines will have to be drawn up again. 
Tioga County and Owego are among communities making special efforts to remember the attack on Pearl Harbor, Hawaii on December 7th, 1941, giving Tioga County its first World War II casualty. Seaman First Class Delmar Dale Sibley of Owego was killed in action aboard the battleship USS Arizona 23 days before his 24th birthday. Owego's Pearl Harbor Remembrance Service for its heroes and survivors and families begins at 12.55 p.m. at the Del Mar Dale Sibley Memorial Hall of the Glen Warner Post 1371 Veterans of Foreign Wars. The WMBF Twin Tiers forecast for today, 70% chance of showers, patchy fog through even early afternoon, otherwise clouds today, a high in the low to mid-50s. Tonight, a slight chance of showers, patchy fog overnight, otherwise cloudy, a low in the upper 30s. Mostly cloudy on Thursday with a high in the mid-40s. Friday, partly sunny, a high in the low 40s, and Saturday, partly sunny, a high in the low 40s. This is where news breaks first. News Radio 1290, WMBF, WMBF.com and 92.1 FM. News Radio 1290, WMBF. Bob Joseph Live, Wednesday, December 7th, 2022. Contact us at 607-772-1290 or send an email to bob at wnbf.com. Call in. You know you want to. In a crowded city like Omaha, undercover on the edge of the Across at me, with eyes that look but cannot see. Out of reach, out of love, stepping out of bounds. And here we go for another show. And we uh, are happy that you're with us, and we will be here. Coming up, your calls. Uh, let's see who's on the Magic Radio line. Hi, Magic Radio. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? Jim from Endwell. Jim, you're on the air. What's on your mind? Well, for all the Yankee fans, it does appear official that about 40 minutes ago, Aaron Judge signed a nine-year, $360 million contract with the New York Yankees. I heard that just as I was uh, walking in. James Kelly broke the uh, news to me, and I, I, for one, am very, very pleased. I am also. I'm a Yankee fan. But I think he's good for the team and good for baseball. And being in New York, I think he's going to do better than he would in San Francisco. Yeah, I, I I thought, I mean, things were weird yesterday, of course, with that uh, uh, premature, and it turns out, yeah. erroneous mm-hmm. report. But, um, you know, it was exciting. Um, and I wish him well and, of course, wish the Yankees well. Of course, 
in fairness, if you have ever listened to yeah. me, I also, I also you wish are the a Boston fan. yeah. I also wish the Red Sox well, but I, you know, there's no, you know, I don't want bad things to happen uh, to the Yankees. I, what I would like ultimately is to see Boston and the Yankees in uh, the World Series, or if not that, Boston and the Mets in the World Series come uh, the fall. And um, before I go, I just want to thank all the veterans, especially those of World War II. My father-in-law, who will be 99 in February, um, enlisted 80 years ago today, one year after the bombing of Pearl Harbor. So I'd like to thank all of them. Thank you. And we uh, also extend our, our thanks on this historic day, of course, that shall live in infamy, December 7th. 1941, 80, 81 years ago. Thank you for bringing that up, and also thanks for your uh, call about the uh, the breaking sports news. Hope you have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. 9.13 at News Radio WNBF. And, yeah, I, um, in case people are just tuning in for the first time, for most of my life I was pretty much um, a diehard Yankee fan, and... Now I'm a Red Sox fan, but I still, I do want the Yankees to always do well, always. And uh, also would like to see the Mets do well. (laughs) I would. So for me, I know people are saying, Bob, why are you even talking baseball in the first week of December? But for me, I would love to see... The Red Sox play a New York team in the World Series. Personally, Red Sox-Mets might be my favorite matchup, but if not the Mets, Red Sox and the Yankees. And I want it to go seven games, and I want to be there on the decisive seventh game at Fenway. And I hope it goes into extra innings and dot, dot, dot. So you know what I'm saying. Anyway. We can dream, especially since baseball at this point seems quite a ways off. Back to the phones we go. Good morning, WNBF. You're on the air. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? Dale from uh, Bampton. Yes. What's up? And, uh, you know, I just uh, all the uh, quietness in the community that happened the other night. How the kid, how the can control that? How can they get control of it? Yeah, all those uh, children and stuff run across the street on Shenango Street in the green light and uh, waiting to get hit. It's crazy. Drinking. Drinking. They allowed underage drinking. <laughs> well, how does that happen? Because because they should have a zero-tolerance policy, and they don't, because there are two, two kinds of laws. Now, I could test this. I won't, because I don't want I to. Either, I, yeah, but Yeah, but I could conduct a test and see if I could wander around Court Street next Saturday afternoon drinking from a liquor bottle and see what would happen, but... Most likely, I'd be cited for violating the open container law. 
and rightfully so. But I'm not a Binghamton University student now, so, you know, it's different. It's different. There are two, two laws, one for you and me, and then another for those who are celebrating being young and famous. That's the way it is, though. You know, nobody said this country's... Nobody has ever said this country's justice system was equitable. And, and uh, glass and gra- glasses on the side of the road and this and that and everything. Oh, yeah, there still is, too. And, and not just downtown. I was on a West Side Street uh, yesterday heading home from work late Tuesday afternoon and uh, saw an abundance of um, garbage left over, I believe, from SantaCon, unless they had a, a party on, on Monday night, but uh, empty containers and lots of red cups along the side of uh, the street on the west side. So, you know, it's, it's a work in progress trying to clean up the mess. And by the way, I've seen no evidence that any students were involved in cleaning up the mess. They may have. If any Binghamton University students helped clean up the SantaCon mess over the weekend, I would invite them to call to let me know. That's right. Well, anyway, okay. no, no point harping on it because we know who runs the town, and certainly not us. WNBF, good morning. You're on the air. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? Uh, the name I'm going by today is John from Binghamton. May change. <laughs> right. If John, that's your real name, and if, in fact, you're calling from Binghamton, what's on your mind? Well, uh, this uh, what, what Art Deco, they closed that State Street down for about six months. No business could be done, and now they have no parking on State. This is insanity. Uh, where you take government grant money and you put people out of business. Uh, they reduced those spaces there when they widened the sidewalk or whatever they did, and it's kind of silly. Uh, you know, it's got so many uh, districts, so many sections. The stadium district is now the, the marijuana district, I guess. It's uh, it's quite something. Uh, oh, yeah. the uh, And they have a new city department, the... Uh they have the Binghamton uh, Weed and Recreation Department. So, you know, which, hey, it's forward thinking, and it certainly is going to get Binghamton recognized around the country, but I'm not sure that's the best way. Well, you know, Vietnam went on for so long, but uh, downtown urban renewal, I mean, it's the longest battle uh, that has ever taken place. Uh, time to declare victory. Uh, and move on to the to the neighborhoods. Uh, you know the uh, the distressing thing about yesterday was the decision uh, that indeed there was gerrymandering, which everybody knew. Uh, these people, this new legislature that benefited by this, particularly the ones, the three uh, that uh, are supposed to be legislators in the town of Maine, uh, they should be prevented from taking the oath of office. They engaged in a fraudulent uh, exercise uh, to make tens of thousands of dollars as a legislator, get to health care benefits and pension benefits, and uh, they scammed uh, the public. So th- this is an example of rigged elections. I, I don't think they should, should take they – vi- they violated their current oath of office by engaging in willful, willful fraud. Every, uh, uh, this was no secret. This was 
this isn't something that uh, had any judgment call. This was willful fraud to get those elected seats, and they did it. And just because it's a small county, a small town, uh, they shouldn't be allowed to get away with it. It's Uh, kind of embarrassing. Well, one can make a criminal case out of it. Uh, you know, uh, I, I, I don't know. Can, I mean, we, we, we've got big, big problems where, where, where election law, whether it's the, the 50 votes in Norwich uh, during the congressional election with Denny or this, this is, this is willful stuff. Uh, these people uh, need to be prevented by court order, and we need a new election. I mean, the election was only, so uh, there's been no change. It was, it's a fact, and the election was only 60 days ago. There, there, should, there has to be a new election. How? And see, this is the essence of what Trump is talking about here. This was rigged, and, and, and this, in this case, it was the Republicans that were doing the rigging. But it, it was 100% rigged, 100% fraudulent. So, so how can you let these people get away with it? Well, we'll see if the people demand demand uh, satisfaction. So, you know, it's ultimately it'll be up to Broome County residents to make it clear what their will is. Uh, you know, some some county residents may not be bothered by it. Others, on the other hand, may find it deeply disturbing. But ultimately, the will of the people will determine what happens next. Well, I. Uh... You know, it's 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 to me, this is a very discouraging place. It's not on run being run on the level. It had a history for thirty or forty years since urban renewal of allowing this kind of corruption. And uh, you know, uh, uh, let's let's get some uh, prosecutions there. I uh, I suggested a long time ago that uh, a full time. A corruption investigator be on the job at the district attorney's office, but he's got a he's got a selective way of working there. He has problems in his own office that he is uh, not acting on and hasn't acted on. And you know, uh, you know, it, 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 this town is rotten, rotten to the core, and it manifests itself. Think about this: there's a guy, and if you look at the minutes of the last ten years. And this whole culinary school debacle at BCC, this whole casino school debacle. One guy took that institution, I guess Dar Wales was one of the founding fathers of that institution, took a great uh, technical college, which is what it should have remained, second to none, and for his own benefit, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year in salary and benefits, ran it into the ground with the cooperation of and the uh, uh, full consent of the board of directors. Nobody, nobody. uh, uh, And, and, you know, the county has $25 million worth of debt still on that culinary school that they're responsible for. So this is an example. This is is why I think, you know, the preservation of these institutions is not job one. These people want to suck all the money and the benefits that they can out of it. And they don't care whether the institution lives or dies. They don't care how long that institution has been uh, going. Just, oh, it's, it's us now. We're going to grab all we can and uh, take uh, the uh, bankrupt en- entity and try to merge it into Binghamton University. This, 
This is uh, the, these people are not community minded. Who came and, up with that idea, by the way? A merger? Who? Who's uh, who's responsible for that brainstorm? Did did we see a, a name attached to the plan? Well, uh, I didn't, but I assume that it's Kevin Drama. He wants an, another job. He wants to to go uh, on. But the the interesting thing about the SUNY system, and this is where uh, Ort Ort, what's his name, is right. This guy, this King, ran for governor of Maryland. Uh, the salary uh, and was defeated in 21. I mean, he's such a great New Yorker that he ran for governor of Maryland uh, with a salary of $175,000. Now he's coming back to New York <laughs> with, with, with a, to, to run a university system at 750 when he would be running the, when he wanted to run the whole state of Maryland for 175. Talk about failing upwards. I mean, the sure. New York Tech, well, that serves. Let's be honest, that serves as, uh, I think, a great in- inspiration for each of us. You know, that just because just because it doesn't work out at one place doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that your future isn't even more promising. I mean, if, if you look around this country, I mean, around New York State and elsewhere across the USA, you can find several examples of, of just that where, where you would think that, that someone wouldn't say would be totally washed up, but that um, perhaps their best days were behind them, and then, you know, something like this happens. So it is, it, in, in its own way, John, it is inspirational. Yeah, I guess it is. Not uh, to taxpayers. I mean, taxpayers, <laughs> let's face it, New York taxpayers probably aren't so inspired by it, but for others. Well, if you looked at that webcast, I mean, you wouldn't hire this guy uh, for for nothing, I mean that that that's that's not seven hundred fifty grand a year salary uh, that was apparent to me on that webcast. That was like uh, uh, he he was right at the grade of a, of a school principal or something. I mean, you know, <laughs> an assistant principal. Yeah, in Tioga County. Thank you very. Much. I'm I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I didn't even see the webcast myself, so I can't I can't speak to the webcast. I'm just participating with John from Binghamton on a radio program as far as uh, if if the guy wants to call in and, and talk about his new challenges he of course is welcome as as anybody else would be on this program number to call 607-772-1290 the email address is bob at wnbf.com you're listening to News Radio WNBF, 1290 AM, 92.1 FM, and always available on the free WNBF app. Come on home. 
We are worried. <laughs> we saw the video of you at SantaCon. We're worried, Johnny. Plus, by this point, you're out of money from buying all the cheap booze. Nine twenty-nine, Bob Joseph, doing the work that really should be done on the other shows. But hey, willing, I am willing, of course. I'm willing, of course, to uh, do the work the other shows, for whatever reason, opt not to do. There's no, there's no law that says they have to do it. By the way, we do have other shows coming up on the station today, including at noon, Dan Bongino, 3, Sean Hannity, and 6, Mark Levin. So stay tuned. News Radio, WNBF. You see what happened down south? Whether you voted for me or not, that every single day I am going to keep working for you. Well, there you go. The Flash, apparently official. Warnock beats Walker in Georgia runoff race. That's the Washington Post headline. It says here the win will give Democrats a 51-seat majority in the Senate. Of course, uh, not participating in the big celebration. Senators Manchin and Cinema. Yeah, they're not participating in the celebration for some reason. Yeah, yeah that's there. Certainly, that's their right, but our uh, congratulations, of course, to Herschel Walker for being consistent. We <laughs> are always impressed with consistency. 931, Bob Joseph Live, News Radio, WNBF. Hey, Pete! News Radio Providing you with the best solutions of your lifetime. The KSO Insurance Weekly Spotlight with Karen Sweet O'Neill on News Radio 1290 WNBF. Good morning, Karen. Good morning, Bob. How are you? I am well. How are things? Things are well. All right. Let's get right to business. So what's what's the big headline? <sighs> headline today, money saving year end moves from the fool's school. So, oh, the Motley Fool! You mentioned oh, that uh, like how much you love fool. the Motley Fool, and, and very, very intriguing advice. Yeah, I mean, some you know, some columns are better than others. This was very good, so we're going to Yogi Bear a little bit of this information. Um, and basically, you know, the tax season, Bob, round the corner. We don't like to think about that, but it is. And to keep as many of your dollars in your pocket as possible. You might want to listen to a couple of these tips. So, number one, if you don't item, if you do itemize, excuse me, on your taxes, then you might want to try generating more deductions before the end of the year. And what I mean by that is, you know, for example, your donations to charity in December or January. Guess what? If you can do it, do your donations in December because that will reduce your taxable event. 
if you've sold some stocks, you had some gains, and you also had some losers in your portfolio, you want to consider selling them before December 31st because the gains can be offset by the losses, and that'll shrink your tax bill. Now, if you say, you know what, I'm going to do that, and then I'm going to buy back those shares, you need to wait at least 31 days for the lost account. So talk to your financial advisor about that if that's something that you'd like to do. If you haven't contributed to tax advantage retirement accounts, like IRAs and 401ks yet, you really should do so. The maximum IRA contribution, Bob, for 2022 is 6000 plus an additional 1000 if you're 50 or older. And the 2022 maximum salary deferral into a 401k is $20,500 plus an additional $6,500 if you're 50 years or older. And you have until, and some people don't realize this, you have until April 18th of 2023 to make that IRA contribution to reduce your taxable event. But the 401k, mm -mm, not so much. You need to do that by December 31st. Now, if you have a workplace, you know, flexible spending account, also referred to the acronyms FSAs, and that's, you know, an account that helps you pay for medical expenses, qualifying medical expenses on a pre-tax basis. Generally speaking, Bob, that's a use it or lose it amount of money. I mean, some employers may give you an extra couple of months to spend it, and some may let you roll it over to 500 to up to $500 for the following year, but don't count on it. So if you do have an FSA, you want to look at what you've spent with qualifying medical expenses during the year and make sure that you, uh, you know, utilize that account. That's what it's there for. We are at 1708 Vestal Parkway East, up above Plato's Closet and Style Encore. You can reach us several ways. You can give us a buzz at 607-772-4898. You can Google us at KSO Insurance. All our contact information comes up. Or simply go to a phone book and we have a big display ad under insurance in the yellow pages. Very good. Very good. Thank you, uh, as always, for the uh, very important information, some good guidance for people. Of course, it's important year-round, but of special interest at the end of a year as people have to make some decisions, plan ahead, reduce your tax liability when possible, and also put yourself on a sound financial footing for the coming year. I think that's always a goal. I, I totally agree with you, Bob. All right. We're in total agreement, which I'm not surprised by at all. <laughs> I think we tend to be in total agreement on a lot of things. So anyway, a pleasure. Uh, Karen Sweet <laughs> O'Neill, I hope you have a wonderful day. I hope you do, too. Thanks, Bob. Thanks. It's 938 Agreeable Radio. Hi, I'm your agreeable host. Call in. And agree with me at 607-772-1290. Bob Joseph live on a Wednesday morning. You're listening to News Radio WNBF, 92.1 FM, 1290 AM, and streaming at WNBF.com.
WNBF. News Radio, with the best music. <laughs> I know. News Radio, with the best music, with the stacks of wax. Well, virus, not just any virus, but polio, still in upstate water systems. So just when you thought it was safe, now you know it may not, in fact, be safe. Polio, still a concern here in upstate New York. I know, everybody says, well, don't worry about it. Well, okay, you don't worry about it and then see what happens. But uh, according to... A report today in the Albany Times Union by Rachel Silberstein. Uh, wastewater samples in three upstate counties still show signs of polio transmission. Polio. This is not good. And you know, amazingly, we hear very little about it. I think it's because people have health fatigue. People are sick and tired of hearing about health, which is understandable. After about three years, I'm pretty much tired of talking about public health and, oh, people getting sick and what do you need to do to protect yourself and your family. I mean, enough already. Let's just, this is a free country. Let's be free. Free at last. Not do anything to protect our health. You know, it's, it's tiring. Holiday season. Don't talk about polio. Don't talk about RSV. Don't talk about West Nile viruses and all that stuff. We're sick of it. Anyway, Rockland, Sullivan, and Orange counties now have had multiple polio detections in recent weeks, all of them genetically linked to the strain of the disease that partially paralyzed a 20-year-old Rockland County man earlier this year. That's according to New York State and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Statewide, 94 wastewater samples collected between March and mid-November have tested positive for polio, though seven of those samples could not be easily connected to the Rockland case. So that makes you wonder, what else is going on? What else do we need to know about polio? State health officials say signals are starting to lessen in those areas, though the threat of polio remains a concern. A state health department spokeswoman said this proactive monitoring will continue, as will efforts to immunize young children and communities in counties of concern to ensure that we have early detection systems and long-term strategies in place to continuously protect New Yorkers against the threat of paralytic disease. And you know that's an official statement from a New York department because... It has lots of words, buzzwords, and also was probably carefully crafted, not just by the health department, but by those attorneys on the second floor in the executive chamber, where they craft those statements that go out to New Yorkers. You know, remember the day when the New York State government didn't turn every media inquiry into a legal case 
stink. The, the people, the attorneys, and I have nothing against lawyers. Some of my best friends are in the business of law, but, gee, every little thing, every little thing, and, of course, every big thing that comes through to a press office in New York State government, automatically, automatically, the attorneys get involved. And they're not even friendly about it anymore. Back in the day, when they first started with press offices, they at least gave the illusion of wanting wanting to be your pal. We knew they weren't going to be our pal, but they, they at least sounded... They sounded somewhat friendly. Now, when you call a state department press office in Albany, wow, press office, I don't think they ever have a good day at the press office. And I don't know if it's just, it, you know, may in fact be a call center where every every press office telephone number for every New York State Department at headquarters is answered by a call center, actually. That's probably it. So I think that's why they don't even identify. But they could. You know, if you called 1-800-whatever, um, New York State Health Department, they still could see that on the board on their screen, even if they're in a call center, and they wouldn't have to sound so surly, press office, How'd you get this number? Well, I got this number because it's on your website for media inquiries. Well, who are you? Well, Bob and Binghamton. What do you want? I want some information about a story I'm working on. Okay. It's your number. Well, sometimes it's scary, but of course... It's not personal. It's just New York State government. 948 Bob Joseph. <laughs> Asking a few questions. I suppose I suppose they do that because at least for at least some of the initial inquiries, say for younger reporters or people who are easily scared, it might dissuade them from even pursuing the story in the first place. You know, if you call the press office, if, if that's the first step you do and you haven't encountered that sort of poor attitude in the past, you might say, you know what, I'm going to go do a story about the Christmas lights. The Christmas lights on Maryvale Drive, that's a, that's a more fun story, and the people in that neighborhood are willing to talk about their Christmas displays and their celebration of the holidays. I'll go do that instead of trying to do a story involving the state health department or the Department of Environmental Conservation. Those people obviously don't want to deal with me. And so the other thing, too, eventually, at some point, you do receive a phone call or sometimes an email from a functionary in the actual department that you're trying to work with to get information. And man, there's another level of frustration as you are forced to 
not not ask direct questions to them over the phone or set up an interview. Uh, please email your questions, and then after, typically after at least one business day, sometimes a couple of business days, you'll receive some sort of tightly constructed reply to select questions. Some questions will be ignored. Some questions will receive a, a reply that clearly was crafted by a junior attorney so as not to truly shed much light on the story. So that's that's your New York State government, folks, your tax dollars at work. Just a little insight into how the Empire State makes life better for each of us. It's 9.51 at WNBF with... Bob Joseph on your side. Folks at the Miller Auto team are uh, doing vehicle deals, cars and trucks and, I suppose, minivans, if there is such a thing today. Miller Motors on the Parkway, 4455 Vestal Parkway East, directly across from Binghamton University. Uh, They will be open today till 6, by the way, tomorrow night till 7. Miller Motors with uh, new Hyundais, new Hondas. Uh, Find out what the options are. They may have some vehicles on their way right now to their Vestal dealership that haven't been claimed yet. Get down there and claim a vehicle. If you need a new vehicle, now is a good time to celebrate the holidays with transportation that's dependable. Not the old jalopy falling apart in the driveway. So you're a laughing stock, not just in your neighborhood, but in your entire town. Anyway, a good car is nice. A new vehicle at Miller Motors would be great. They also have uh, a nice used vehicle inventory. You can check that out online. I see several. So I punch up the uh, featured vehicles. They have a bunch, including some certified pre-owned vehicles, even vehicles under 10000 Check it out. Oh, we even used inventory specials. MillerAutoTeam.com. Miller Motors. They are there to serve you on the Parkway Investal. It's 9.52. Bob Joseph at WNBF and WNBF.com. Nine fifty-five. Bob Joseph live on News Radio WNBF and WNBF.com. The news from ABC coming up at ten o'clock. After that, an update from the WNBF News Division with Kathy White. When they come to take you down. They say the name shouldn't be mentioned in polite company, but 
I will mention the name if you are sensitive or easily offended. Please turn down your radio for the next 15 seconds. All right, here's the name that shall not be spoken in polite company. Donald John Trump. And he is said to be the sole or principal owner of the Trump Organization. Now, according to the Wikipedia entry, and a lot of people probably were wondering when they heard about this organization in the news because of the criminal conviction, people were wondering, what is that thing anyway? I mean, is it just a business that licensed the guy's name? No, actually... It's, uh, according to Wikipedia, about 500 business entities, of which the Florida guy is the sole or principal owner. Uh, 250 of the entities use his name. The organization was founded in 1927 by his paternal grandmother, named Elizabeth, and his dad, named Fred. Uh, the Florida guy began leading it in 1971. He handed off its leadership to his kids in 2016, when he won the... United States presidential election four years before he lost a similar election. This organization, through its various constituent companies and partnerships, has or has had interest in real estate development, investing, brokerage, sales and marketing, and property management. The organization entities own, operate, invest in, and develop residential real estate, hotels, resorts, residential towers, and golf countries in various countries. Um doesn't say whether they sell hot dogs, doesn't say if they're involved yet in the emerging business of lithium-ion battery manufacturing, but who knows, could be just around the corner. It says they uh, are involved in construction, hospitality, casinos, entertainment, book and magazine publishing, broadcast media, model management, retail, financial services, food and beverages, so I guess that could be hot dogs. No, not the good ones, Oscar Meyer. Hot dogs, business education, online travel, commercial and private aviation, and beauty pageants. I remember hearing a story about a beauty pageant. The organization entities also own the New York Television Production Company that produced a reality television franchise on the NBC network. Retail operations include or have included fashion apparel, jewelry, lighting products, bedding, home fragrance products, small leather goods, vodka, wine, barware, steaks, chocolate bars, and bottled spring water. So in other words, this is an organization that pretty much has had its fingers in everything except for delicious donuts that are made for four months a year in Endicott. It's 10 o'clock, News Radio, WNBF. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290, WNBF. Here's Kathy White. A little bit of a showery start to the day, as well as some fog. We'll have the clouds hanging on. But once again, mild temperatures today in the low to mid-50s. 
New York State Police are investigating a collision between a motor vehicle and a pedestrian that has claimed the life of a North Norwich woman. Authorities say 30-year-old Megan Michalunas was standing in the road on State Highway 80 near Rexford Falls wearing dark clothing when she was hit by a vehicle driven by an Oneida man at around quarter after six Monday evening. She was pronounced dead at the scene. The driver immediately stopped and notified authorities. A patient at the Delhi Rehabilitation Center is accused of molesting a staff member and a resident. Delaware County Sheriff's officials say 70-year-old Charles David of Delhi was arrested last week and charged with two counts of forcible touching. He's accused of subjecting two females to unwanted sexual contact on two separate occasions while living at the facility on State Highway 10 in the town of Delhi. David was issued a criminal summons for town of Delhi Court at a later date. An order of protection was issued prohibiting the man from having any contact with the victims. A Johnson City store that reportedly had been making marijuana available by a gifting scheme has been closed. Village Police Chief Brett Dodge says a search warrant was executed at the shop called High Standards at 279 Floral Avenue, which he said had popped up over a single weekend. Police executed a search warrant on November 22nd, during which Dodge says one and a quarter pounds of marijuana was confiscated from the store. He says two employees are charged with unlawful possession and were issued appearance tickets. Dodge says he believes his department's move to shut down the Floral Avenue shop was the first action of its kind by police in Broome County. A Cortland man is facing several felony counts following an investigation into a reported burglary at a home in the town of Cortlandville. Sheriff's officials say 37-year-old Michael Grossi was arrested on Sunday after deputies had responded to the home earlier in the day. Authorities say Grossi was arrested during a traffic stop when officers determined he had an order of protection with a passenger in his vehicle and had some of the items taken in the earlier burglary in the vehicle. The sheriff's office has additional stolen items were found in a garage at a home in the town of Cortlandville. Grossi is charged with felony counts of grand larceny, burglary and criminal mischief as well as misdemeanor criminal contempt. He was sent to the Cortland County Jail. Voters in the Susquehanna Valley School District are giving the nod to spending $29.8 million on a list of improvements in the district that includes safety and security upgrades. Residents yesterday voted 243 to 21 on the spending proposal that carries no increase in the local school tax rate. A group that challenged the redrawing of local legislative district boundaries in Broome County is celebrating a court victory. Fair Maps for Broome County yesterday announced it has won a Supreme Court challenge to the county legislative district map adopted in January, supposedly to reflect population shifts reported in the 2020 census. The group hired a lawyer to ask the court to declare the legislative district lines invalid due to gerrymandering, including dividing the town of Maine into three districts. Supreme Court Justice Joseph McBride reportedly declared the maps void, meaning new district lines will have to be drawn up again. Tioga County and Owego are among communities making special efforts to remember the attack on Pearl Harbor, Hawaii on December 7, 1941, giving Tioga County its first World War II casualty. Seaman First Class Delmar Dale Sibley of Owego was killed in action aboard the battleship USS Arizona 23 days before his 24th birthday. Owego's Pearl Harbor Remembrance Service for its heroes and survivors and families begins at 12.55 p.m. at the Delmar Dale Sibley Memorial Hall of the Glen Warner Post 1371 Veterans of Foreign Wars. 
The WMBF Twin Tiers forecast for today, 70% chance of showers, patchy fog through even early afternoon, otherwise clouds today, a high in the low to mid-50s. Tonight, a slight chance of showers, patchy fog overnight, otherwise cloudy, a low in the upper 30s. Mostly cloudy on Thursday with a high in the mid-40s. Friday, partly sunny, a high in the low 40s, and Saturday, partly sunny, a high in the low 40s. This is where news breaks first. News Radio 1290, WMBF, WMBF.com, and 92.1 F. News Radio WNBF.com. Bob Joseph on a Wednesday morning, live. It Coming up this hour, we'll be taking some of your phone calls. You can also send an email to bob at wnbf.com. I was doing that this morning, and Vestal is running up that hill, and because it was Vestal... They decided not to put any sidewalks on that hill because they don't like pedestrians on their hills. So I had to dodge cars that were aiming for me while I was reporting a story. But obviously I survived. (laughs) Well, it's too bad that they can't afford sidewalks in Vestal. I'll have to talk with the town supervisor about that the next time he's on the program. Anyway, coming up, we will indeed talk about a wide array of topics on the program, including some issues that you probably don't want to hear about, so stay tuned for that. Some issues that may not be addressed on other programs today, so we will do what needs to be done later this hour. Coming up, though, we will focus on something very important locally. Ciao. The Community Hunger Outreach Warehouse. Les Aylesworth joins us in the studio. That's coming up next. Bob Joseph, live on News Radio, WNBF 92.1 FM, 1290 AM, and streaming at WNBF.com. 10.14, I'm Bob Joseph on News Radio, WNBF, on your... Wednesday morning. And we welcome back to the studio Les Aylesworth, director of Chow in Broome County. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. Thank you for having me on the show. Well, it's been a while since you've been on this program in the studio. We 
typically have been talking yes. on the phone, but it's always nice to have uh, a face-to-face conversation. It, indeed. It's very nice to actually be in person. It is. Least. It is. It was, a, it was a strange two or two and a half years. Strange so. phone calls to talk to an empty office. Yeah, yeah. Eh, you do what you have to do right. to, to deal with uh, challenges as they occur. So we're going to talk about what is an ongoing challenge to provide food assistance to people in our communities, in our area. For people not familiar with the concept of chow, I'll provide a little background of uh, how it got started and what the mission of chow is today. Yeah, so um, the, the, the chow program started in uh, 1976 with a uh, uh, an observation that there was people in need, and how do we, how do we as a community come together to help address that need? And so, out of that was born this uh, program, and uh, with a mission to stop hunger. You know, our logo is a stop sign. So the mission and the vision is to stop hunger in our community, and we do that by partnering up with uh, various pantries and meal sites who are in the community, who are you know, as I call them, the boots on the ground to um, be able to give food to those who have need. How big is the need right now? Well, you know, the figures are always um, old, but approximately, last last of the figures, there's approximately 27,000 people in Broome County who are considered, quote-unquote, food insecure. And so when you look at those numbers, and including there's one in four kids, it's a pretty significant number. And the numbers, when I hear numbers... Uh, about the the needs, whether it's food or other needs in our county, sometimes I'm just stunned mm-hmm. by the the magnitude of the need. I, I was born here and I grew up here, and I've generally had a perception that we are in good shape. The reality is, in many parts of Broome County, parts of Binghamton and Johnson City and Endicott, especially, there there are high levels of poverty and there always has been a high level of food insecurity even say if uh, if some people never uh directly see that yeah you know i think sometimes we have in, in our minds that a person who's food insecure or in poverty is a certain type of person but the reality is is all it takes is one health crisis or a job loss or a death in the family and all of a sudden this stable life that you once had is now uh, flipped upside down and you find yourself in a situation where you are suddenly in need that you never anticipated and uh, are unfortunately in, now become one of those people who are in need. And that's why Chow exists because we want to make sure that those folks who are facing those types of struggles can at least um, have one part of their situation addressed. You know, we can't do it all. I mean, I mean, Chow doesn't have all the food in the community to give to everybody, but we want to be able to help in the small way that we can so that we can maybe push people. Maybe it's just a few days at the end of the month. Maybe it's just a, a week. Maybe it's a month and be able to provide that little support that they need that will then get them over that hump so that they, they can become um, more sufficient, maybe not out of the woods, but help them in their time of need. Well, anything that people can do to make a difference, to make a positive, have a positive impact on a on a serious problem, I think is important. Tell us a little bit about how it works, the logistics of sure. Chow. So we work with approximately 100 different programs throughout Broome County, roughly divided between pantries and meal sites. Meal sites are what you we normally call soup kitchens. And so what we do 
we are we act as as the food distributor. We bring food in through all kinds of sources. We purchase food. We do the food drives. You probably have seen our blue barrels out in the community. Um, but we also do a, a large amount of food recovery. Food recovery is food that I affectionately call as past its sell by date, but not past its use date. Food that uh, stores can't sell, but is still very edible. I mean, I joke about it. You know, in all of our refrigerators, we have. Uh, you know, salad dressings that are way past due, but we don't have any trouble. And I always joke, you know, I give those to my kids. Um, <laughs> but that's the type of – so we, we bring that food in and then distribute it out to our, these agencies at no cost. How many paid people are part of the chow operation? So we work with about a staff of eight people. Um, that includes warehouse staff. It, it includes a uh, jobs training program. It includes our front-end uh, food referral folks who are helping people who are in need of food assistance to find it. And so that, you know, last year we were able to do we, – we, we distributed almost 2 million meals. And so it's a pretty small staff to push out a lot of food every year. In terms of people who need assistance, and I am – certainly aware that some people listening right now may need food help Mm -hmm. Um, how what's the easiest way to obtain assistance if they haven't received any kind of help through chow or other local organizations in the past probably the two easiest ways are if you have a phone you can dial 211 and there that's like the human services 911 for human services 211 can direct you to us also you can go to our website broomcouncil.net and there's a tab on there under the chow section that if you need food you can click on it and it can it brings up a, a form that you can fill out and actually uh see what pantries are available and actually uh uh, decide where you want to go, and we'll contact you and get you set up to get food. What is the situation right now at the the Chow Warehouse? Do you have adequate supplies to meet the current demand for food? <laughs> That's always a loaded question because the need never goes away, so the need is always there. Um, as we know, the last several months with inflation and continued supply chain issues getting food into our warehouse has been a a constant challenge and so at times we've had to work uh harder to get less food and so what that means for us practically speaking we've had to go farther you know we we travel up to utica uh sometimes to get food we've been out in the buffalo area to get food we've been down in southern pennsylvania in order to get food all in the goal of bringing it back into our community so we can distribute it out so it's been a challenge but one of the commitments we make to the community and, you know, kind of we feel it's a mandate, if you will, is to help them. So we do what we got to do. What effect is the dramatic increase in food prices having um, on chow, both the, the fact that certainly more people who, say, a year ago mm-hmm. may have been able to afford to feed their families, even now if they still have a job, maybe their income hasn't kept up with the um, – inflationary trends when you go to the supermarket uh so what impact has that had and also the the impact on on trying to obtain food as as necessary clearly the the money that chow mm-hmm. has isn't going as far as it did a year or a year and a half ago yeah i mean your 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 question hits them both there i mean the, the fact that inflation is so high and food access is so difficult it affects all of us so we are just like if you will the regular person there's not a you know, a f- emergency food fairy who <laughs> drops food into our warehouse, we have to go out and purchase it and get it. And when all of that 
system is stressed as it has been, it's just difficult for everybody. So, of course, people, individuals, families have increased in, in need. And, and so it's a strange uh, as it's the need has grown up for us, but it's up. It's more difficult for us. It's more difficult for everyone. So, you know, trying to address that need is, is become is, is just challenging. Just no way to put it. I mean, some of our programs have seen increases. Uh, I'm thinking of one program right now that um, pre-pandemic was serving like uh, 150 families a week, and now they're they're so that would be what um, you know, a few hundred a month. Now they're serving over six thousand people a month, and so uh, it, the 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 need has exploded. And and right now, and it's the sort of the side thing is that people are becoming more stressed out there. You know, uh, people are getting more antsy at our, our at our pantries and food giveaways. Um, we've had some instances of of violence happen, and you know, all that I think is is symptomatic of the situation at large, and and so we try to work to make sure we minimize that and do what we can. Well, it's it's tough. I mean, yeah. these are tough times, not just because of food insecurity, but just because of so much uncertainty in general. Absolutely. Whether it's political uncertainty or you know people feeling, oh, I can't believe how much it's costing me to go buy food this week mm-hmm. and then you drive past a gas station i can't believe how much it's costing just to fill up my gas tank yeah. and so on it seems like everywhere you look and then the, the cost of of heating homes yep. this winter yep. uh with whether it's natural gas or electricity or home heating oil or propane yep. i mean people are are being affected from all directions and to your point though about trying to keep things as calm as possible uh, are you uh, finding it necessary yet to actually bring security people to to some sites at at times to make sure that say if um, if tensions increase that um, that things that order can be maintained it hasn't we haven't had to do that yet um, but i mean certainly the police have been called in a couple occasions just to restore order and make sure that nothing um, gets out of hand but you know like you said earlier, uh, with, with the cost of everything, you know, people are being faced with decisions that that ought not to be. You know, do I pay my fuel oil bill, or do I buy food? Do I put gas in my car so I can get to work, or do I buy food? Do I buy my prescriptions, or do I buy food? And people are being faced with some tough decisions. And I wish they were theoretical, but we're I'm getting reports about those exact those, those exact things, and you know, coming if you will from the horse's mouth, you. You, it, it's almost unbelievable, but it's true. And it's happening right here in our neighborhood. Right here in our own backyard. Can, I'm yep. sure I can walk just a few steps from our yep. studio and find people who are facing big food security issues as well as a multitude of other challenges yeah. at this moment. And like I mentioned earlier, you know, it's we think of it as those people. The truth is it's it's not just those people. It's the family members. It's friends. It's coworkers. Um, it, it's people you know, and maybe it's even you. Speaking with Les Aylesworth, Director of Chow, looking ahead to 2023, are there any new initiatives in the works for Chow in Broome County? So we're trying to work on getting some uh, new vehicles um, that will help us to uh, get access, more access to food farther away. Um, you know, as we as the situation has just progressed over the last couple of years, really since the pandemic, if you will, um, as we've observed the trends and where things are going, not knowing 
if or when they will ever change. We're trying to be proactive in in that, and so we can ensure that our community has enough emergency food available when we need it. If people are in a position to help Chow financially, how can they do that? They can go to our, the website I mentioned earlier, broomcouncil.net. There's a donate button there. And, uh, you know, thankfully at this point, for every dollar that's donated, we're able to uh, support the community with five meals. And so we're proud of that. Um, we work really, really hard to make that happen. And, um, you know, I'll mention this because sometimes it's a question. Is how, is that, how does that work? You know, how does $1 equal five meals? It's not just that we were able to purchase five meals worth of food. It's that when it comes into chow, because of what we do with uh, that dollar can go put gas into a vehicle, which then can travel to a place where there might be uh, 10,000 pounds of food that's being donated, but they can't get anyone to pick it up because they don't have a vehicle. Well, that goes into the program and we're able to access that. So that, you know, a, a, a tank of gas can be worth, you know, thousands of dollars worth of uh, food. Les Aylesworth, Director of Chow, a program with the Broome County Council of Churches. Thank you for being with us in the studio. Thank you very much. It's 1028. Bob Joseph live on a Wednesday morning. And we'll be taking phone calls at 607-772-1290. If you'd like, you can send an email to bob at wnbf.com. This is News Radio, WNBF, 92.1 FM, 1290 AM, and always available on the free WNBF app. We're not- WNBF Binghamton, Bob Joseph, live. Herschel Walker. Oh, we have. A... <laughs> oh, Jesse, come on. Jesse from Owego wrote about Herschel Walker. Um, and I won't use the first part, and I shouldn't even use. I won't even use the second part or the third part. Uh, Jesse from Owego concludes about Herschel Walker and. Senator Warnock. That election was really messed up, but at least there wasn't voter suppression. Matter of fact, a record amount of voters showed up. Yeah, it was good to see people get out to vote. I think that's great. I think it's great when a lot of people get out to vote. And also, what I like, in Georgia, they had more opportunities for people to vote early. So I'm, as you may have heard, I I think early voting is where it's at. I think it's uh, a good thing. Early voting. Now, not everybody agrees, but 
when you think about it, that's the American way to make it possible for as many people to enjoy the right that we call voting. So I think um, early voting was good in Georgia. I think it's great that it now exists in New York State. I was always curious for so many years when in New York State there was no early voting. I thought, why, why can they have early voting in some states but not in the greatest state? So, fortunately, fortunately, they um, allow early voting. I think, I think it'd be nice. I think it would be great for early voting to be expanded in New York, but I also think on Election Day it would be better to have the polls open for 24 hours. So, say, from 6 a.m. on Tuesday until 6 a.m. the following day, 24 hours to vote. And that way people, if you wanted to vote at 11.30 at night, you could. It's always disturbing to see uh, situations when people have to stand in line and wait to vote. I'm thinking back over the years, I don't recall having to wait in line to vote for very long. Apparently, wherever I vote, I don't have to. Apparently, we have uh, enough resources. But if you live in a community, a um, highly populated area, you shouldn't have to stand in line. It should be instant. What we want in this country is instant gratification. And forcing people to stand in line to vote, to exercise their right, that's... That really is not, that's not helpful, in my opinion. It's just not, not a good thing. It's 1035 at News Radio, WNBF and WNBF.com, 607-772-1290 is our number. In case you missed the sports news earlier, Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge stays with the Yankees. A lot of the uh, fans of that organization were distraught. Not sure if that's right, if they were distraught or just concerned. Either way, they were worried that Aaron Judge would no longer be part of that fabled sports operation based in the Bronx, but he will stay. According to uh, the reports, uh, Mr. Judge and the Yankees have agreed to a nine-year, $360 million contract. So he will stay in the Bronx, maybe for the rest of his career. According to the New York Post, Aaron Judge took a visit with his hometown Giants during the free agent process, but in the end chose to stay Home instead of going home. The Padres also offered a late bid for 
His services meeting him Tuesday night at Petco Park in San Diego, but they were turned down. There had been a report, clearly erroneous, that Aaron Judge wasn't going to be with the Yankees for the coming season, but that's what happens these days. Sometimes there are uh, reports that, eh, based on some source, it is a problem. It's not related just to sports. Any kind of reporting. How much can you trust the source? How much can you trust the source? And you know, some people say, "Oh, well, for something like that, you should have three or four sources." But what if? What if you have a source who has always been reliable and dependable and trustworthy? As they say, an unimpeachable source. A source who has always provided accurate information on a regular basis. So you have no reason to doubt what the source has told you. So does that mean you should just wait when you have a potentially big story? If you can't get it confirmed from two or three or four other sources, or should you go with the story knowing there's always a possible risk that your source has it wrong? Or sometimes what happens, and I know this happens, sometimes a story is reported based on one or two sources, very well-placed sources, so something is reported, and then after it's in the news... Then the people involved changed their plan or changed their mind. And therefore, it makes it look like the story was erroneous when, in fact, the people involved, whether it's a sporting story or any other kind of story, business, whatever, the people involved then say, oh, look at all the reaction to that story. No, we're, we're going to change our plans, and then... It, makes it appear that the reporter actually got it wrong when, in fact, the reporter had it right and the the people just wound up changing their mind before it was announced publicly. That's always, always a possibility. So sometimes you just can't win. Anyway, congratulations to Aaron Judge. I guess he's going to be living on Easy Street for the next decade. Wait a second. He's already living on Easy Street. He's going to live on Easier Street. It's 1040. Back to the phones. Ron in Binghamton's First Ward. Good morning. You're on the air. Good morning, Bob. I'd like to, I'm so sick of hearing about Hunter's laptop. I, what I want to talk about is the cover-up of Hunter's laptop by every member of the media, including yourself. When everything in there is true, if you see, I, I'm not going to ask if you've seen it. You all, your answer is always no to everything. Some journalist. But anyway, Biden's compromised, his son's compromised, his brother's compromised. Well, the good news about Hunter Biden is he wasn't elected to anything. So, you know, if uh, ultimately he winds up being convicted of something and then having to go to prison, that certainly will be another tragedy in a very difficult life, clearly He's had his challenges, and he has more challenges ahead. But um, even if Hunter Biden is convicted of a felony and goes to the big house, you know, at, at least that 
It doesn't mean that his dad, the man from Scranton, did anything wrong. Oh, you mean you mean the big guy? Yeah, the big guy. So I I think now I will say if it can be proven in a court of law that the big guy did something wrong and did something that was criminal, then I think there needs to be justice. I think there needs to be an a talk about the cover-up. Why has the FBI had this laptop with all this information on it for three years? Well, that's a good question. Why? Why does the FBI do anything? You know, the FBI, to be honest, doesn't seem to be very accountable to anyone about anything. They used to solve crimes. Now they commit crimes. Hey, I'm sure they committed crimes even before this. And they're still solving crimes. Don't don't kid yourself. I mean, this seems like a major a major distraction from the overall mission of the Federal Bureau of Investigation to investigate and solve crimes. I mean, even with the problems involved in their political distractions, they're still doing a lot of great work for America. They've done nothing. What have they done for you? What do you mean, what has the FBI done for me? I haven't needed the services of the FBI yet, but I I know and I have the number of the guy who's attached with the FBI in Binghamton. I know if I need the services of the Bureau, he'll take my call and, and get the information and do what's needed. I, I am fully confident that he and his colleagues at the FBI field offices around the country are up to the task. They covered up the Hunter Biden laptop, Bob, at the Washington field office. You can't say they didn't. because I'm not going to say anything about what the FBI did with Hunter's laptop. Bottom line is, as far as I'm concerned, nobody should have Hunter Biden's laptop. That's my, that's my position. Hunter Biden's laptop should be in Hunter Biden's home. You know, people looking through Hunter Biden's laptop, that's the first thing. First order of privacy. You don't go into someone else's laptop. That's a violation of privacy in America. Bob, he committed so many crimes. He hasn't committed a single c- crime yet because he hasn't been committed of any crimes associated with this. If he ultimately is convicted at some point down the road, then I'll address it. But until and unless he's found guilty by a jury of his peers, we can't say he's any more guilty of a crime than you are. You can watch all the stuff that you can find in his laptop, and you, then you tell me he's not guilty of any crime. Hey, I'm not the judge and jury. I will not be called to sit on the jury if there is a criminal trial. I would like to be, but there. the truth is, if there's a trial of Hunter Biden at some point in the future, you and me aren't going to be part of the process. It'd be nice. I think it would be nice if you and I could sit on the jury. Even if we have different worldviews, I would be proud to sit on a jury with you and actually hear the evidence as presented at trial and then work with you and ten other people on the jury to come up with a fair verdict. Uh, I've served on on juries, Bob, and trust me. You you get some dummies in there no matter which side you're going to be on. They'll just try to throw a wrench in things. So you and I might end up coming to the same conclusion in the end, but there's there's always one or two that just kick out like sore thumbs. Trust me. I know. I know. I, I served on one jury in my life. I was surprised I even got got that 
opportunity because typically they don't want journalists on juries because, well, you know, because we're journalists. Well, you know the type. I, Bob, I've seen probably a good half an hour of just clip after clip of, of of Hunter's laptop stuff, and it's all leaked out by members of the FBI. I know. I, I know. That's another thing. The people who, the people who uh, leaked out any of the contents of Hunter Biden's lat- laptop ought to be prosecuted. They they violated his privacy. I, I don't I don't agree. Well, I agree. I mean, I can't go through your laptop and release it to the New York Post. If I left it someplace for three months and it became someone else's property, they could do whatever the hell they want with it, Bob. And that's- yeah, I know they can. But they shouldn't. It's a question of, is it the right thing to do? And the bottom line is, as you know, it's not the right thing to do. You might be able to get away with it legally on a technicality, but is it the right thing to do to invade the privacy of an American citizen and put it in the New York Post? That's not the right thing to do. More importantly, is it it more of a crime to cover up the story so the Americans wouldn't know anything if it weren't for brave whistleblowers and a few leakers? That's the crime. Well, I appreciate your call. Ken in Binghamton, good morning. What say you? Oh, he wanted to talk about Hunter's laptop, too. He probably agrees with me, and I'm not surprised. Matt Ryan from Binghamton, a noted attorney and, believe it or not, a former mayor of Binghamton. Good morning. Hey, Bob. How you doing? Good. So what do you think about my position? My position is no one, even if they had legal possession of Hunter Biden's laptop, no one should ever have released any of its contents publicly. What say you? Well, I haven't studied that area of law that closely, but I think that anybody, uh, I don't think that anybody should, if they know whose laptop it is, I don't think leaving it any place for any period of time allows the government or anybody to search it. Well, actually, Go into somebody's uh, personal property is is pretty uh, egregious in the United States. No matter who you are, if you're the government, the government's the only one that needs a warrant. I would admit that, but you might um, to do it legally. But if a a business turns it over to um, to some entity that's going to break into it, I, I think there could be some. Uh, you know, some implications there for everybody involved. But my point is, look, if we're going to, I think everybody agrees that, um, you know, we saw Billy Carter do it. We saw the whole Trump family profit off of um, of Donald Trump's presidency. We saw, you know, it, it happens. And I think there should be strict laws against that. So that's where we should go. And, and Hunter Biden, you know, if you, if you compare what he did, uh, you know, I, I haven't really studied that that close. However, if any of the allegations are true, he was not doing, you know, anything that a lot of people don't profit off their families. Let's, for, let's give an example of what did Jared Kushner do his last, uh, the last month and a half of Donald Trump's presidency. He went to Saudi Arabia and he got all sorts of uh, deals. Uh, which he was not qual, you know, that wasn't something he was qualified in. He became sort of a hedge fund manager and created, uh, you know, built uh, uh, by all counts billions of dollars out of the Saudis for something he really had no experience in. But he knew that they might be 
concerned that he might come back to office in four years, and they gave Jared Kushner all the money he wanted uh, um, through you know financial arrangements he had set up and investment arrangements. So if we're going to go against one person, then let's go against them all, because I, I agree nobody should nobody there should be some kind of a rule that if um but i don't know how you make that rule if somebody's somebody becomes president how do you tell everybody he's associated with not to to do business that um you know and that i just think it's a it's a tough thing but if you're gonna if you're gonna set up a rule let's make sure it, uh, that it um you know everybody both the trumps and the biden's family members don't uh take advantage of something that's illegal. Now, if it's legal, then it's legal. But I, I, I'd I, favor making it, you know, somehow making it, if you could, making it illegal for family members to go around to countries and stuff and profit off their relationships with. But it's, I mean, it's... Well, I agree. I agree with you. And, and you know, when, when Billy Carter, with all his... Um, make, behavior. He didn't make a lot of money. Well, he didn't make a lot of money, but even if he made a penny, even if he didn't make money, there was, to me, and I, I don't recall all the specifics because I was more focused on his beverage division, but the, the reality of Billy Carter, I mean, wasn't he hanging out with, or doing stuff with, with the Libyans and, and people, the likes of Gaddafi? I don't remember all the specifics. Bottom line is, I think I'm in full agreement with you that people who are um, members of a current president or former president's family should not be getting involved with foreign interests at all because it just doesn't look good. Right, exactly. And, yeah, and, I, and I'm not. I'm not accusing. I would never go so far as to accuse Hunter Biden of a criminal act because I don't have enough evidence, and I'm not accusing Billy Carter of ever having done anything criminal. I'm just saying when uh, people who are related to uh, a sitting president or a former president get involved in any sort of transactions, and I might I might uh, uh, alert people like Ivanka and uh, right. who's – Who's her spouse? Uh, Danny? Right. She married to Danny so, Bonaducci. Anyway, anyway the, bo the bottom line is, yeah, it doesn't look good. The closest comparison is between, in my mind, that I've seen currently is Jared Kushner versus Hunter Biden. If they say Hunter Biden was involved in energy industries there and stuff like that, that he really didn't have any expertise in, Every, by, by all account, uh, that might be true, and, and maybe it's not right, or maybe it's not illegal, and maybe it's not illegal for what Jared Kushner did. I'm well, sorry, maybe it's time to to uh, have Congress pass pass laws to specifically make certain conduct illegal. So just because people get involved in things that technically may not violate U.S. law, but it, it doesn't pass the smell test, that uh, in the future. You know, relatives, whether it's relatives of, of President Biden or uh, President uh, AOC, um, we don't we don't have to go through this again. You know, I, I don't like having to ask questions about people who are related to the president, whether or not he's from Scranton. 1052, Bob Joseph Live, WNBF. Look 
almost cut my hair. It happened just the other day. It's getting kind of long. I could have said it was in my way. Ten fifty five, Bob Joseph Live. I feel like letting my freak flag fly. Hey, he almost cut his hair. Well, well, Mr. Stern, please don't do that. Your fans won't be able to recognize you. <laughs> Uh, why can't we have a Wawa? People are saying, Wawa? What's a Wawa? Oh, you know. Dave from Vestal, good morning. Good morning there, Bob. Hey, you know, I was listening to you and uh, Mary Matt there, and you know, I find it interesting that you both were agreeing on something, but you were both avoiding the biggest issue of all, which is probably, well, I'll bet any money it's a crime. If I understand families making money from influence of a family member in office, but if it's proven, and I'm going to make you admit this, Bob, if it's proven that he was funneling money to a sitting vice president, if he was getting a cut of all these, that's a crime, and that ha- there has to be justice. He must face the music for that. Do you agree? This is what I will say. And I'm choosing my words very carefully for a reason. If Hunter Biden is convicted of a crime, I believe he should face justice. You avoided the question. I answered the question to the best of my ability. Again, in my personal opinion, and again, I have no connection to the case. I have no horse in this race or whatever they say. Hunter Biden, if he's committed a crime, Hunter Biden, if he has been accused and cited for jaywalking, whatever, a federal crime, jaywalking, if it can be proven in a court of law, he must be dealt with appropriately. What should Joe face? If President Biden is convicted of a crime, he too must face justice. Thank you. You made my day, Bob. Have a good one. Thanks. Everyone, the current guy, the former guy, their relatives, their sons, their daughters, their sons-in-law, hangers-on, former spouses, any of them. If they commit crimes and they're convicted, they should face justice. They should not be treated any differently than you or I. If we are convicted of jaywalking, we'll have to pay a fine, I guess. I don't know what the fine is, but if they cite me for jaywalking in downtown Binghamton and it can be proven, they can and probably will throw the book at me. Now, it would be interesting. I I think I might call Bruce Barquette 
if they cite me for jaywalking, because I might ask, I might ask the high-powered attorney to represent me in Binghamton City Court because I think I would have a very, very strong case that they, it was a, a, a situation involving selective enforcement. Because simply, I would just play the tapes from our security cameras and point out the hundreds of people right here near the WNBF studios who jaywalk every day or every week. We'd run some of those tapes and see that none of them was cited. So if I got cited for jaywalking, I believe the judge would dismiss the case and say, you're right, Bob. Shouldn't have been jaywalking because clearly it's in violation of uh, the city ordinance, but yeah, now go out here and jaywalk no more. It's 11 o'clock, Bob Joseph live on a Wednesday morning on WNBF Binghamton. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290 WNBF. Here's Kathy White. A showery start to the day as well as some fog will have the clouds hanging on. But once again, mild temperatures today in the low to mid 50s. New York State Police are investigating a collision between a motor vehicle and a pedestrian that has claimed the life of a North Norwich woman. Authorities say 30-year-old Megan Michalunas was standing in the road on State Highway 80 near Rexford Falls wearing dark clothing when she was hit by a vehicle driven by an Oneida man at around quarter after six Monday evening. She was pronounced dead at the scene. The driver immediately stopped and notified authorities. A patient at the Delhi Rehabilitation Center is accused of molesting a staff member and a resident. Delaware County Sheriff's officials say 70-year-old Charles David of Delhi was arrested last week and charged with two counts of forcible touching. He's accused of subjecting two females to unwanted sexual contact on two separate occasions while living at the facility on State Highway 10 in the town of Delhi. David was issued a criminal summons for town of Delhi Court at a later date. An order of protection was issued prohibiting the man from having any contact with the victims. A Johnson City store that reportedly had been making marijuana available by a gifting scheme has been closed. Village Police Chief Brett Dodge says a search warrant was executed at the shop called High Standards at 279 Floral Avenue, which he said had popped up over a single weekend. Police executed a search warrant on November 22nd, during which Dodge says one and a quarter pounds of marijuana was confiscated from the store. He says two employees are charged with unlawful possession and were issued appearance tickets. Dodge says he believes his department's move to shut down the Floral Avenue shop was the first action of its kind by police in Broome County. A Cortland man is facing several felony counts following an investigation into a reported burglary at a home in the town of Cortlandville. Sheriff's officials say 37-year-old Michael Grossi was arrested on Sunday after deputies had responded to the home earlier in the day. Authorities say Grossi was arrested during a traffic stop when officers determined he had an order of protection with a passenger in his vehicle and had some of the items taken in the earlier burglary in the vehicle. The sheriff's office says additional stolen items were found in a garage at a home in the town of Cortlandville. Grossi is charged with felony counts of grand larceny, burglary, and criminal mischief as well as misdemeanor criminal contempt. He was sent to the Cortland County 
jail. Voters in the Susquehanna Valley School District are giving the nod to spending $29.8 million on a list of improvements in the district that include safety and security upgrades. Residents yesterday voted 243 to 21 on the spending proposal that carries no increase in the local school tax rate. A group that challenged the redrawing of local legislative district boundaries in Broome County is celebrating a court victory. Fair Maps for Broome County yesterday announced it has won a Supreme Court challenge to the county legislative district map adopted in January, supposedly to reflect population shifts reported in the 2020 census. The group hired a lawyer to ask the court to declare the legislative district lines invalid due to gerrymandering, including dividing the town of Maine into three districts. Supreme Court Justice Joseph McBride reportedly declared the maps void, meaning new district lines will have to be drawn up again. Tioga County and Owego are among communities making special efforts to remember the attack on Pearl Harbor, Hawaii on December 7, 1941, giving Tioga County its first World War II casualty. Seaman First Class Delmar Dale Sibley of Owego was killed in action aboard the battleship USS Arizona 23 days before his 24th birthday. Owego's Pearl Harbor Remembrance Service for its heroes and survivors and families begins at 12.55 p.m. at the Delmar Dale Sibley Memorial Hall of the Glen Warner Post 1371 Veterans of Foreign Wars. The WMBF Twin Tiers forecast for today, 70% chance of showers, patchy fog through even early afternoon, otherwise clouds today, a high in the low to mid-50s. Tonight, a slight chance of showers, patchy fog overnight, otherwise cloudy, a low in the upper 30s. Mostly cloudy on Thursday with a high in the mid-40s. Friday, partly sunny, a high in the low 40s. And Saturday, partly sunny, a high in the low 40s. This is where news breaks first. News Radio 1290 WMBF, WMBF.com and 92.1 FM. Wednesday morning, Bob Joseph live. Another big hour ahead. We're looking for your call at 607-772-1290 or send an email to bob at wnbf.com. I went down to Georgia. He was looking for a soul to steal. He was in a bind because he was way behind and he was willing to make a deal. When he came across this young man sewing on a fiddle and playing it hot and the devil jumped up on a hickory stump and said, boy, let me tell you what. I guess you didn't know it, but I'm a fiddle player too. And if you'd care to take a dare, I'll make a bet with you. Now you play pretty good fiddle, boy, but give the devil his due. I bet a fiddle of gold against your soul, because I think I'm better than you. The boy said, my name's Johnny, and it might be a sin. But I'll take your bet, you're going to regret, because I'm the best as ever been. Johnny, rising up your bow and play your fiddle hard. Cause hell's broke loose in Georgia and the devil deals the cards. And if you win, you get this shiny fiddle made of gold. But if you lose, the devil gets your soul. Former guy went down to Georgia. Oh, oh, come on, man. Some people are just trying to stir things up. Who are you looking at? Anyway, good morning. Let's go back to those red-hot phones. Ron in Binghamton, good morning. Good morning, Bob. Well, I I don't intend to stir anything up, but... Wait, you're on a talk show and you're not going to help me here? Come on, man. 
I need your assistance. Stir things up. Get things going. We're starting a brand new hour. We need to whip people into a virtual frenzy. Oh, okay. So I changed my mind. I will try. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, you know, I I wanted to mention, I was listening to Matt Ryan, uh, whom I I enjoy listening to, by the way, uh, always do. But I I think Matt would probably agree with me uh, regarding what I have as a mild critique of what he said about Kushner and Hunter Biden. Uh, To me, it appeared that Matt was pointing to Jared Kushner's bad behavior to excuse or mitigate Hunter Biden's bad behavior. I I don't know if that's a lawyerly thing uh, that Matt is doing or if Matt can't accept the wrongdoing of a Democrat on its own. Uh, You know, the talk was about Hunter Biden, which I don't need to or want to talk about. But the point of bringing up Jared Kushner is uh, a way of pointing to bad behavior to excuse other bad behavior. I I don't know if that's a good thing to do. Oh, I don't think so. I don't. Yeah. I don't think um, because that smacks of whataboutism. I think. I think uh, ultimately that our presidents, our vice presidents, our members of Congress, and all members of their families must be held to a higher standard. I agree, uh, and let me tell you. The more important thing I'm calling about this morning than Hunter Biden's laptop, Aaron Judge. You reported that he uh, appears to be signed with back with the Yankees. Uh, is that correct, Bob? That's the flash, apparently official. Uh huh. Well, it it made me think of uh, you're a Boston uh, Red Sox guy. Uh, of course, you remember Johnny Damon. Do do you remember when Johnny Damon left Boston and went to the Yankees? Vaguely. Yeah. Well, what stuck out to me was Johnny Damon looked like someone. He looked like John the Baptist as far as uh, his his coiffure, his hair, his beard. He looked like he was. Uh, you know, in the suburbs of Boston, eating insects. <laughs> and uh, so he came to the Yankees, and wow, all of a sudden, he was, uh, you know, the Johnny uh, straight and narrow. You know, he, got, he had to get shorn of his beard. And, and I was just wondering, it. you know, Aaron Judge, uh, I guess, he doesn't. He's getting a lot of money from the Yankees, and the Giants offered him money. The Giants would have let him grow a beard, I'm sure. And the Yankees, and one of the reasons I there's a lot of reasons I don't particularly like the Yankees, but that's one of them. The uh, the uh, shiny, uh, clean face uh, image you have to have because the Yankees are above everyone else. Uh, you know they can't put their names on the back of their jerseys uh, those and, things uh, those know, factors actually are one of the things i like about the yankees i mean i, I the, the, the thing that uh tends to bother me the most it's not the only thing but one of the things that that uh disappoints me most about the yankees is how they just of course being in the most wonderful market not just in america but in the world they have access to resources that many teams don't so they like to 
attempt to buy themselves a world championship, which if you look at their recent record, they haven't been doing too well, no matter how much they have spent over uh, the past decade plus. They they don't seem to be doing as well as they, they might hope. But, um, yeah, the fact that they, they spend lots of money uh, on on their personnel, which certainly is their right under Major League Baseball guidelines. But the thing that also still irks me is, uh, you know, for a team that had access to untold wealth, they didn't buy, they didn't build their own darn stadium. If they, they felt it necessary to tear down the house that Ruth built, which I don't think was necessary, but if they felt they had to do it, they should have done the whole thing with their money and built their own little little piece of Yankee, you know, if it, they still call it Yankee Stadium, I guess. But they used, I think, at least a billion dollars in tax money. I don't like the way they operate. We'll just put. But as far as as far as the dress code, yeah, and the thing with uh, the no names on on the backs of the uniforms, I actually kind of like that. It's now I I know that it constricts the um, the players from doing certain things that they they could do if they played for other clubs but i actually so if that's the way your organization wants to present itself i find it kind of ironic because the way the way the yankees behave in in other aspects of their operation um is leave something to be desired but if if they want to have that strict dress code and, and those guidelines i mean the one thing is uh whether it's Aaron Judge or anybody else who goes to work for the organization, they they certainly know what the guidelines are going in, and and nobody is compelled. If you don't want to work, I mean, say here at the station, if if they had guidelines like that, which they don't because it's radio, but say if they did, you know, hey, I would I would make a decision if if I could live with that, or if I wanted to go work someplace else where I could have longer hair and grow a beard if I wished. Well, I brought that up. I'm just trying to find, uh, you know, from my long list of reasons I don't like the Yankees. I mean, I appreciate them as a baseball team, but I don't like them as uh, I don't like the myth, the myth of the, the Yankees. Do you remember they had a player years ago? I don't know if you ever heard of him. His name was Babe Ruth. I don't recall the the actual player. I recall there was a really really bad candy bar that uh, had a name like that. Almost that, that was a candy bar that was almost as bad as the Reggie bar. I mean, Reggie bar by far was the worst candy bar in the history of the confectionery industry in in the world. But uh, that Babe Ruth or Baby Ruth bar that was was a close runner up. So I I do. I do know. Actually, obviously, I'm kidding. I, I know Babe Ruth actually, uh, actually played a game in Johnson City over at uh, Johnson Field. Uh, I believe it was an exhibition game against the Triplets, and he, they claim he hit a home run, and they, they claim, I think it was in the seventh inning. Then the fans, which is short for fanatics. Uh, uh, went on to the field and the game never was completed. I guess the game ended in the seventh inning, but uh, people were so enthusiastic to see Babe Ruth hit a home run where Route 17 now is in, in Johnson City that they uh, they swarmed the field. But, um, you know, it's too bad we don't have any video of that because that, that would get a lot of clicks. 
Yeah, I never went for the uh, uh, Baby Ruth bar. I, I preferred the O. Henry Aaron bar. Oh, that was my favorite. <laughs> well, now, uh, now if we're going to digress, the, the only the only candy bar these days that I, I really like is Chunky. Did you ever have Ooh, one of those Chunkies? But now they're so tiny. You know, it's it's almost two dollars, and what used to be a big, big bar of delicious milk chocolate and some form of nut, and also some raisins. Now it's down to about one point six ounces. But back when I was a kid, you could get a chunky bar that was bigger than your hand. Of course, my hands were smaller then, but still, it was a giant chunky bar, and I think it was about ten cents. Yeah, I re- well, I I remember that bar and. The comedian on TV who used to promo it, he used to say, "Chunky, what a chunk of chocolate!" Yeah, that was a, that was. Oh, a I part. saw some of those commercials, the the old commercials on YouTube, because I I don't think I I don't think I remember seeing those commercials back when they were actually on TV. But I came across that because I was looking up something about Chunky, and they made reference to that uh, comedian who, uh, for many years, was was uh, sort of the the face or the person who did did the advertising for for chunky and yeah those were the days of course they went and changed the nut now i think they they put peanuts in it or something but that's not the that wasn't the original formula yeah yeah um yeah the candy bars are you know we've got shrinkflation with them too of course uh but one last thing about the Yankees and Babe Ruth and Yankee Stadium, if I may. Uh, the thing that, uh, when I said the myth of the Yankees, you know, when they built the original Yankee Stadium, the house that Ruth built, do you know how far it was from home plate to right field, to the right field stands? It was 296 feet. Now, they have uh, bigger fields in high school. The, the, the stadium was built for Babe Ruth to hit home runs, and they still refer to Yankee Stadium's porch, you know, so they get the left-handed hitters. and they, Of course, uh, uh, Judge uh, broke that ball, being a right-handed hitter, but he could hit them to right or left. Uh, but, you know, everything was kind of designed to, to continue the, the Yankee myth. And uh, I just like guys with beards on the field uh, who are individuals. Uh, it's, you know, personal thing. John All right. Damon, Maybe one of these days we'll turn this into sports radio, 1290. All right. Yeah, maybe. Well, it won't be this Friday because Jerry Smith is oh. on. Maybe Friday of next week we'll, we'll have a sports radio program and uh, speak of sports of all sorts. Oh, good. I've got some things. <laughs> yeah, stay tuned. I bet you do. Thanks, Ron. Uh-huh. Okay. 1122, Bob Joseph live, taking calls at 607-772-1290. Listening to News Radio, WNBF 92.1 FM, 1290 AM, and always available on the free WNBF app. At Matthew.
All the hits, all the time. Back to the phone as we go. It's DJ in Binghamton. Good morning. Good morning, Bob. Hey, remember this? I know the chunky who left this chunky. On December 23rd, I'm throwing a big festivus party in Binghamton. And what you do is everybody brings something, like a dish to pass type thing. And you bring all the food from Seinfeld that you can think of. So when George's mother said, what am I going to do with all this paella? I'm bringing paella, rice and chicken. And when she said, what am I going to do with all these bologna sandwiches? I'm bringing a marble rye with uh, bologna and everything. And you bring, uh, remember Snapple, the uh, the contest? Oh, I know uh, uh, John Limbaugh used to do, not John, Rush Limbaugh used to do the Snapple <laughs> commercials. He said it was filled with good stuff, the good stuff that you can't get in other other beverages, something like that. I remember. Yeah, you were thinking, yeah, me too. You were thinking of Sean Hannity, but when you said John Limbaugh. Anyway, yeah, and uh, God rest his soul, uh, rest in peace, Jeff from the uh, Cyber West used to make fun of it because he sold it and he said, yeah, all the good stuff, it's all sugar and everything, just like any other drink. Well, anyway, yeah, that's what Americans want. They don't want healthy stuff. No, give me high fructose corn syrup or give me death. So think of something, and, and, and remember when uh, uh, Elaine's boyfriend said, you found out I was in the hospital, and you stopped off for some jujubes, and the Junior Mints, they're very refreshing. You oh, Junior Mints. You now, now you're talking, but you know, time. the Junior Mints, they're coated with that um, stuff, the secretions of uh, the Beatles, not John, Paul, George, and Ringo. But, uh, <laughs> Are you serious? Oh, you, well, how do you that. think they get that uh, healthy glow on the... Uh, I love those. Oh, oh. One time, crazy. one time I saw them in a dollar store, and they had like a 15-ounce um, box for a dollar, and I got a 15-ounce yeah. box, and by the time I got back here at the station, most of it was gone. And that's when the dollar store was across the street. And then I, I thought, oh, for a dollar, I should go out and buy another box. And then I thought, oh, eating 30 ounces of junior mints in one day probably isn't that healthy. Right. I, I do the same thing. I get them. Yeah, they're gone in 10 minutes. Oh, and they were good at movies. They were good at movies. Yeah. Anything you can think of, like chocolate babka, bring it to this Festivus party. We're going to have a Festivus for the rest of us. I got a lot of problems with you people, and now you're going to hear about it. <laughs> when Doug Moser was on, he played that. That little that little bit. That was a good bit. But then there were so many good bits on that program. I know. That was, amazing. you know what I wanted them to do, and I thought they might do it because, look, in this country, in this society, everything revolves around money. And I thought that um, NBC or whatever their streaming service was, along with um, Jerry Seinfeld and Julia and, and the, the whole gang, the original cast of Seinfeld, I thought certainly somebody somewhere realizes that each one of them could make untold millions of dollars if they just produced 13 new Seinfeld episodes in 2022. Can you imagine uh, having Seinfeld, a show about nothing that we enjoyed for so many years, can you imagine having having uh, even a dozen or so, or even six new episodes with all the characters set in 2022 so they can do sh uh, 
jokes about cell phones and Twitter and all that oh, other stuff. Yeah. You, you could have so much fun. I would say it's a yeah. win-win. And you know what? Everything, what I say, every yeah. you know, so much money could be made. And I wouldn't begrudge any of them for making a lot of money. I would watch and savor every one of those episodes. That's right. And everything that's happened since they left, COVID, there's so much material yes. now, election fraud. Yes. Oh my, oh, my gosh. Fake news. And, oh, yeah. you know, no, I mean, I, I personally right. could write 30 episodes worth of material now granted i'd need help from professional tv writers but still some basic things that that have transpired in the world since the seinfeld show um gave us the the last episode i i still hold out hope i haven't heard that anybody talking about it but somebody somewhere is going to say that's a billion dollar project ultimately we're going to pull in more than a billion dollars, even if we produce only 13 new episodes. Jerry will get a lot, but the other people will get a lot. The writers will get a lot, even the people, the technicians, and the network. And, you know, that would be one of the few things where I wouldn't begrudge any of them the amount of money they got because it would bring, if only for a half hour at a time, it would bring about global happiness. That's right, and I thought of uh, that's a great idea. And I thought of uh, remember the the Brady Bunch sequel, a, a Seinfeld sequel with them because none of them were doing anything. But you know, there are Festivus parties everywhere, yeah. every town and city, but we don't have one. Well, they so. could even. I'm how about this? Do if they don't want to do a new series, NBC should pitch it to them and do a three-hour live Festivus broadcast with all yes. all of the original characters, as many as they can find, of course, Jerry and the main characters, but even the people who are just incidental characters, anybody who is still available, still alive and willing to participate, bring them all on for a live Seinfeld Festivus broadcast later this month. I mean, it wouldn't be that difficult to slap together. I'll help them. You'll help them. Yeah. We'll, we'll help yes. them to, to make it happen. Certainly. That's a great idea. Uh, Uncle Leo passed away. George's mom this past year, the one that played George's mom. Yeah. Well, that, and that is the problem. that people. Yeah, and, and you could get, you know, yeah, relatives of, of them or whatever, people with similar characteristics. I mean, you could write all sorts of interesting plot lines. You could have a lot of fun with it. And actually, I, I have to admit, I'm, I'm just shocked that Jerry Seinfeld hasn't made this happen. I've never heard him discuss this me possibility. It, it just seems to me like a no-brainer. And even get walk-ons, like, say, Jay Leno. Do it like on a live show. So Jay Leno, they they write a thing about. Oh yeah, well I remember uh, you know what happened to Jay Leno when he uh, he he ultimately got the eleven thirty slot and uh, beat Letterman out of it. So Letterman stormed off in a huff to go to CBS. So Leno comes in still recuperating but still in good spirits drives up yeah. in one of his uh, vintage cars oh, yeah. and then like five minutes later Letterman with like a six-foot-long beard to make it look like he's uh, the latest uh, long-lost member of ZZ Top, Letterman shows up, and and together... Oh, and then Oprah. Oprah shows up with a bag of chips. I mean, you could have so much fun with this. This would be the (laughs) best three-hour live TV event ever. I'm I'm like you. Hey, December 23rd is Festivus, people, so call up and think of a food that you'd like to have at the party. All right. 
appreciate uh, your call. Hope you have a great day. Eleven thirty-three, WNBF, letting my imagination just run a bit wild. Six zero seven 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 two twelve ninety. You are invited to call. This broadcast on News Radio, WNBF 921 FM, 1290 AM, and streaming at WNBF.com. WNBF. Bob Joseph Live. On a Wednesday morning at We are in a tridemic, according to outgoing State Health Commissioner Mary Bassett. You've seen her on TV. Now she is urging caution in holiday gatherings because of the tridemic. So if uh, you were wondering what kind of problems we're facing, well, obviously we're facing many, many, many problems. And now the tridemic. Let's go live to... Albany. Yes, let's <laughs> let's go live to Albany to hear the health commissioner, Mary Bassett. Mask wearing would be wise. Uh, so you 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 know, I, as you see, I wear a mask, uh, and I frequently invoke my 94 year old mother as the person who I'm very committed to protecting from infection. Uh, so you know, I. You're right that we've gone through a period where there's a, you know, people are tired of being told what to do. Uh, But we in public health are now emphasizing that people can take decisions on their own and take decisions that are protected. Get vaccinated, consider wearing a mask in public indoor spaces. Um, You know, uh, there's a, a limit to how much we can legislate people's behavior. And Dr. Bassett, we were speaking earlier today, you mentioned uh, a doctor, I can't remember which one it was, who said that if everybody had gotten vaccinated, why don't you tell us? Yeah, no, this is Dr. Shishjo, the White House uh, um, COVID czar, um, who um, has pointed out that if everybody got all the vaccinations that we have recommended for them, and at the moment it really amounts to, for all who are eligible, getting the bivalent, that we could virtually eliminate all hospitalizations. And that's our goal now, is to keep people from getting sick and dying. Uh, The vaccines have a a more limited ability to reduce transmission, but they will keep you from getting very sick. I think that's the point, you know, that there's tools in place that we did not have before, and uh, people need to take advantage of them. This is a live live news conference in Albany. Dr. Mary Bassett, the state health commissioner, along with... Governor Kathy Hochul. 
Are you concerned that workers might feel they have no choice when they're out of sick days to go in uh, sick with other illnesses like the flu and RSV? No, that's deeply concerning. That That is very much a concern on our minds is that uh, the, way, the way we stop the spread and making other people exposed to your illness is you stay home. And if your employer does not allow that because you already used up your sick leave, I know people who've had COVID three times, and each time it was tough. I mean, that's so, um, so that, that is a concern, very much so. Here you heard it live, WNBF, Governor Kathy Hochul, and State Health Commissioner Mary Bassett, New York State. Now, experiencing a tridemic, enough to make you sick. Bob Joseph, live at 1140 on WNBF. when you have to wear a mask all the time. You don't get a chance to see someone's face for years, and then you say, oh, my gosh. Wear your mask, kiddos. I have to go buy a couple of masks. Anyway, Tridemic Time, 1144. Wear your mask proudly and save lives during the holiday season. That is the Festivus message from Dr. Mary Bassett and New York Governor Kathy Hochul. Back to the phones we go. Good morning, WNBF. You're on the air. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? Hi, Bob. It's Beverly from the town of Dickerson. Hey, did you hear? They they said mask up again. We have a tridemic. This is not a test. This is not a drill. Yep. I I called Dan... I called to say uh, Cornwell Cornwell must have got a slap on the hand for what he did. He can't practice law in New York State anymore, so he is no longer allowed to be an attorney. Right. So he, he, well, you never know. Can he go to another state? Sure, he could go to Pennsylvania. It's uh, it's not that far. He could, uh, I suppose, set up a a practice in Great Bend or Halstead. I don't know. I think he first has to pass the bar in Pennsylvania. I don't know if he uh, currently is licensed to practice in Pennsylvania, but 
apparently, according to what I heard about the sentencing this week, I, I believe his ability to practice law in New York State is um, is gone. I don't know if he can appeal that. I, you know, he's he's forty nine years old. I I suppose he could probably at some point appeal to see if he could um, be permitted to practice law again in New York State. I I hope he can. Yeah, well, in my opinion, Bob, and uh, he should have thought before he done it. Well, that's true of everything. Anytime any of us make a mistake, I'm sure most of us think to ourselves, you know, I should have thought before I did that, and then I wouldn't be in uh, this kind of a jam. Don't you think most people are like that when you do something wrong? Yeah, I think so, Bob. Yeah, so I'm. But, uh, I don't. I don't want to say he's any different than than you or me. I mean, we all make make mistakes, and sometimes, of course, there are serious consequences. But I'm not. I'm not sure that making it impossible for him to practice law to pursue his profession in New York State for the next well for the rest of his life. I'm not sure if that's fair or not. Now. Clearly, he he entered a, a guilty plea to a felony count, and so he had to. Uh, he was fined, and then his privileges to practice law in New York are are revoked, and he's also, I guess, it's a one year conditional discharge. So he needs to uh, stay out of trouble. But the, the I question it was three years. Well, maybe it's three years. Yeah, it could be. Actually, I think you're right. But bottom line is, so if, how about this? And again, this is just all theoretical, but how about if he stays out of trouble for the next five years and he doesn't make any more mistakes and, you know, seems to, I'll I'll use the phrase, seems to have learned a lesson, don't you think he should be, uh, they should consider letting him practice law again in New York if he wants? Well... Well, Ronald Benjamin got his got his uh, his license in prison. Well, that and that's the thing. In Ronald Benjamin's life story, the fact that he was able to study law while he was incarcerated, that story was on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. It, it was a very oh, I know that. Yeah, it was a very impressive story. And you know how many how many people do you know would go to a state prison and then come out? and pass the bar exam and become a successful attorney. Very few people I know. I maybe there I'm sure there must be others. He's the only one I know. Right. So, you know, I that's see what I think in this country, if you break the law, there needs to be a penalty. There needs to be and and that's what the case was in with um the former district attorney Steve Cornwell, the judge Impose the fine, so it's a five thousand dollar fine, and also, as you said, it was a three year conditional discharge, and his license to practice law has been revoked. So, I think it's it's a pretty harsh penalty. I know some people have said if it was someone else, the penalty would be more severe, which is possible, but in my opinion, I think that is a fairly harsh penalty. So I don't, and I haven't talked to 
Mr. Cornwell. Um, I don't suppose he wants to talk with me. But on the other hand, if he does, I, as I have said before, I think I mentioned after we reported on the story with the with the pleas by Stephen Cornwell and James Warhatch, the pleas that were announced on Monday, if at any time they wish to talk about what happened, they can come on the program. And I don't expect that they will, but maybe they do. And, and maybe um, they have, I suppose, now that they, they have the, these convictions, they probably do have serious regrets. I can't imagine that either one would would do this again, given the consequences. So, But I don't know. I mean, I've talked over the years. I've talked to both of them many times, and... I, it just, you know, it's it's a sad it's a sad situation, and I still want the best for them, regardless of what may have happened in the past. But that's that's a problem for me, or not a problem. That's part of my personality or my character. Even when people that I, I've covered who clearly have been guilty of of crimes. I still feel badly for them, not excusing breaking the law. I don't excuse breaking the law, but I still feel badly for people when they wind up in a jam, and I still believe that everybody is is capable of redemption. You know, uh, I think I read once that Thomas J. Watson, who ultimately yeah, founded, yeah, he ultimately founded IBM back when he worked for National Cash Register. I believe he was convicted of a felony. Yeah, George Steinbrenner. I read that on yeah, the George Steinbrenner was convicted of a felony. I mean, lots of right. people wind up being convicted of felonies, and therefore, in the eyes of the law, have done something wrong, and then they go on to do good things. So, who knows? No, so I I wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised that that you know in the end I don't think I don't think it represents the last act for either either person I think I think they should look forward to the future even though things look bleak at the moment it's eleven fifty two with Bob Joseph on WNBF Good morning you're on the air what's your first name where are you calling from. Oh, a recording. It is a recording. By the way, this is not a setup. It's it's one of the challenges of live radio. And I have no idea what this is. It looked like a regular phone call. Well, now it stopped ringing. I don't know. I didn't call anyone. I just pushed the button hoping to get um, a lively listener on the line. Hi, WNBF. You're on the air. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? Mike from Binghamton. What's up? Well, I'd just like to have, I guess it would be a comment about Steve Cornwell. Um, It was a shame to see what went on, but uh, back in 2016 or 2017, he helped me a great deal. My son had an addiction problem with the opioid crisis, and he put me with an advocate, and I was able to get him some treatment in Florida. 
and he's still in Florida today. But if it wasn't for Mr. Cornwell, I'm not sure uh, if Matt would be with us today. So I just wanted to give him a, you know, a, at least a uh, call out for all the help that he has done. Well, and that's notable. And I know from, thank you for bringing that up, because over the years when he was district attorney, Stephen Cornwell and I had a number of conversations, mainly on this program, about substance abuse issues. And and look, I mean, now we know that uh, Steve Cornwell previously also had some issues, involvement with the criminal justice system when he was in his 20s, but he ultimately went on to become district attorney. And also we know, and I'm not going to go into detail, but he also experienced some issues in his own family with his son, which was publicized several years ago. And what he pointed out then, he said many people are struggling in our community, and we are working toward a brighter future for all Broome County residents. I mean, the bottom line is, I think Steve Cornwell, when he was DA, and even before he became the uh, district attorney in Broome County, I think he knew from firsthand experience that that all of us face challenges. And I think that that may even have been a, a good thing, as he was uh, the prosecutor in Broome County while he was in the DA's office. Yeah, I, I agree, Bob. He, you know, back then there was the stigma around addiction was awful. I uh, couldn't get much help around here, and it was a program that he had started in the DA's office that I, it was just heaven sent. And I appreciate him and yeah. his efforts for it. Well, thank you for bringing that up, and uh, yeah, we will. Who knows, at some point, and this certainly two days after he entered the, the plea in court, this may not be the point, but I, this is what I think could happen. I actually think we could be speaking with Steve Cornwell on this program about stuff in general. I mean, obviously, if he comes on the program, there would be the first thing that we would need to address is what has happened this this week with the uh, guilty plea, but there's a lot to talk about, including the fact that he, he did implement programs as district attorney to help deal with our opioid crisis. And I remember, I'm looking back to 2016, the summer of 2016, when I brought up the issue, the question at the uh, news conference with the sheriff and the county executive, Debbie Preston, and other law enforcement people at the time. And I said, well, how many people have died of drug overdoses in Broome County since January? Well, it took a little while, but Steve Cornwell, the DA, shortly after that news conference, said he found... 53 residents in the county had died as a result of drug overdoses between January and uh, into August. So that was dozens of people. So he was working not only to provide some accurate information of how bad the opioid problem was here in Broome County, but then he worked to help people and their families who were dealing with substance abuse issues. So that may be something that we ultimately talk about in the future on this program. I hope we do.
I'm Bob Joseph, live on News Radio, WNBF and WNBF.com. Hey, it's Dave. Looks like we accomplished the mission. Actually, we did much better than anyone had expected. So thank you, everyone, for your contributions. Thank you so much for listening. This is Bob Joseph, direct from the WNBF studios in the heart of the Parlor City. Have a great afternoon. Listening to News Radio, WNBF Binghamton and WNBF.com.